Like I said, we're in Advent, and so we're going to start a new series for the whole of Advent. And so if you recall, um, we have been working through the book of Genesis. So we just finished Genesis 1 through 3 a couple of weeks ago. And as we were looking at the book of Genesis, we spent three particular weeks in Genesis chapter 3 with the intent of just really focusing in on sin, which doesn't sound like all that exciting, but it's really necessary, all right? And so as we were doing that, I was really hoping for us to live into this tension that we feel the weightiness of our sin, all right? Now, I, I tried my best not to leave us in the weightiness every single week to point us to Jesus through Genesis 3, but I, I do hope that it was the experience within this room, and maybe even after we left, that you left feeling like, man, my sin is a really big deal, Maybe even felt like a little bit of the burden as a response to it. And so we, we timed this out specifically so that we would end Genesis chapter 3 and move right into the Advent season. Because I wanted us, one, to feel the burden of our sin, but then on the opposite end, to feel the joy and the elation that comes with the Advent season. Because Advent is this Christian practice on a yearly basis that during the Christmas season, we look back that this Genesis 3.15 promise that there was going to be a Messiah, a Savior that came to deal with our biggest problem, which was sin and death. The promise had been fulfilled in the Christmas season because Jesus has come. And so I wanted the burden of sin and the ending of Genesis chapter 3 to lead us into the Advent season because I want, I wanted us to leave with this burden for sin, but to know that it's been dealt with as we look at Jesus in this Advent season, all right? And so as we're trying to live into this, there's a uh, song that we sing in Christmas that I think really helps Feel the tension of both the burden of sin as well as the joy and elation of Advent and Jesus in Christmas, which is O Holy Night. All right. So we've entitled the series A Thrill of Hope to Still from this song, O Holy Night, because I believe the opening lines just capture both the weightiness and the elation that we want to experience as a whole. So here's some of the lines just so you can, uh, you could probably sing this. I'm not going to do that to you. I'm not going to sing to you because that's not my gift. All right. So I'll, you can sing it in your head as I read it aloud. All right. So a holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. All right. So there you feel the burden, the weightiness of sin. Right. And then look till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. Just encapsulates everything that I've just tried to share. The end of Genesis 3, the weightiness of sin. But then you have this promised Messiah, Genesis 3.15, and we celebrate it in the Advent season, and it should bring joy and elation to our hearts. And so here's my goal for this series, all right? So as we're over the next four weeks, it's my prayer that with both the burden of sin and then the arrival of Jesus, that it produces inside of us a thrill of hope. That as you leave this place every single week, they're like, my deepest, darkest problem has been dealt with. That that's like the joy that you leave this place with 
every single time that we gather. And so as we are doing this, um, for I, as, as I'm praying this, and I pray this is our response as we leave this place, for us to get there, we're just going to gaze at Jesus, all right? So this promised Savior of Genesis 3.15 is the one that we're just going to fixate our eyes on over the next four to five weeks and just look at who is this Jesus. So Genesis 3.15 gives us this promise. It says this, I'll put hostility between you and the woman. This is Jesus, or this is God speaking to Satan, the serpent in the garden after the fall. I'll put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Ultimately showing that there's going to be this struggle between evil and humanity in this world that sin and Satan are going to have this effect on us, but there's this one that's coming from Adam and Eve that is going to put our deepest, darkest problems to sleep, and that is through Jesus. And so here's what I want us to see over the next four to five weeks. This is who Jesus is. He's both fully God and he's fully man, all right? This is called the hypostatic union. We're not going to use that language a lot because Who's going to remember that? Amen? So, um, but we're going to look at who Jesus is. He's fully God, fully man. Both of these are incredibly important for Jesus to fulfill the promise that's in Genesis 3.15. And then we're also going to see how Jesus fulfills certain offices that are amongst God's people. So there's three specific that Jesus fully and completely fulfills in his life and ministry here on earth. And that's that Jesus is the prophet he is the priest, and he is the king, all right? And so tonight, we're going to be looking at John 1, because the apostle Paul, or the apostle John, communicates that Jesus is fully divine. He's fully divine. John 1, 1 says this, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and look, and the word was God. So we know that Jesus is the word because John names him in verse 17, all right? And then literally the whole entire rest of the book is about Jesus. So we know that Jesus is the word. The word for uh, logos, logos is the Greek word for the word. And it is the foundation for Greek. It's the foundation of truth or logic. And so what John is communicating is that Jesus is the truth of God. And if that's confusing for you, John gives us a little bit more clarification in a later letter that he writes. So 1 John 1, 1 says this, what was from the beginning, iterations of John 1, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, which is Jesus. And so what John is basically saying is Jesus is the truth of God. If you want to know who God is, what he looks like, how he would act and respond in this world, you look to Jesus, the one that we heard his voice, his voice with our very own ears, that we saw with our very own eyes, that we laid our hands on him as he walked this earth. John is basically saying this, it took three, over three years for me to understand who Jesus is, and in just three verses in the opening of the book of John, I want you to understand who Jesus is. Well, it took me three years. I want you to get in three verses. And so Jesus is the word, the truth of God, because he is God. And so considering this truth, I want us to wrestle with just two questions tonight that we're going to pose to this passage that we're looking at. And the first one is this. What does it mean that Jesus is fully divine? 
that Jesus is fully God. What does that mean? Because there's other belief sets that would claim that Jesus is divine, but that the ends of that are much different from what we would claim about this Jesus who is fully God. And so I think John is just really clear what he means when he calls Jesus fully God. And I want us to wrestle. I want us to know what that exactly means. And then secondly, in response to that, I want us to ask the question, why is it important for us? So if Jesus is fully divine, what does that mean? And as we see that in John 1, 1 through 5, I also want us to know the importance of it. Why is it so important that Jesus was fully God? Because the extent of Jesus' divinity has massive implications for our sin, our, our, our salvation, and our eternity that we potentially have with God. All right. So the first question, what does it mean that Jesus is fully God is what I want us to look at. And we're going to look at this through verses 1 through 4. And so Jesus, or John identifies three aspects about Jesus' divinity in the opening of his gospel. And so I just want us to identify what these are, spend some time wrestling with it, and then we'll come to a major conclusion at the very end, all right? So verse 1 and 2 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So that Jesus is fully God means this. That he is eternal. Jesus is eternal. John is playing off the words here of Genesis 1.1. All right. So we talked about this at the very opening of the book of Genesis. Genesis 1.1 is one of those just premier opening lines to a book that almost any person could iterate off of their lips because it's such a memorable uh, opening. John, or Genesis 1-1 says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And so you see John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was with God in the beginning. Just really close similarities for both of them. And so what John is trying to say is that before matter and time existed, Jesus was. There's never a point in time that Jesus did not exist, Right? So others have said it like this, that Jesus is pre-existent. So Jesus predates all else because before anything else existed, Jesus was. Now, we've already seen how John gives evidence to this in his letter later, that, he, that his ears have heard Jesus, his eyes have seen Jesus, his hands have laid touch on Jesus. But it's not just John that proclaims this about Jesus throughout the rest of the Bible. One of the best indicators of this we see in the book of Jude. It's a little small letter that Jude wrote. Jude is the brother of Jesus. John 1, or Jude 1, 25 says this, to, only, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority. Look at this. Before all time, now and forever, amen. All right, so Jude, being Jesus' brother, has a close look at Jesus' life, right? Like if you grow up in a home with siblings, they get to see what you look like behind closed doors, all right? So Cherish and I started dating, Cherish my wife. We started dating whenever I was 16, she was 15. Um, so she kind of grew up around my house a lot. She knows my brother really well from a very young age. And in dating, you try to put your best foot forward, Right? Like you're, I mean, you're trying to put yourself as an attractive person, as a successful person, as a likable person. Like you're trying to put your best foot forward. As, Jesus, as Cherish is around my family um, and she gets to know my little brother, she can kind of like 
look at Chris, who's my brother, and be like, is, is this guy legit, right? Like, you, I mean, you've slept in the same bed with this guy. Like, it, does he smell bad? Like, what does he look like whenever he's not, like, cleaned up? Uh, is he really as successful as he says? Is he good at all these things that he says that he really is? He treats me really nice. Like, what, what does he treat you like, right? You've, you've been behind closed doors with him. And so my brother would say, no, everything that Josh has been doing, he's not this guy. And so get out of the relationship. But for some reason, she stuck around. But Jude would look at us as the brother of Jesus and say, everything checks out with Jesus. Everything that he has proclaimed during his life and ministry holds true, including his eternality. Everything that Jesus proclaimed about himself, Judah's saying, I have his back, and I've seen him behind closed doors. I've seen what his life is like. I've seen everything about his life. I've seen what it looks like for him to grow up, how he interacts with my parents, how he is as a friend, how he is as an older brother. I know what it's like. And everything checks out, including his eternality. So John is putting forth before us. He's relating in Genesis. He's gone, like you see other proof about this with Jesus throughout the rest of the New Testament. Jesus is eternal. There's never a point in time that he did not exist. He is an eternal God. But that's not where John stops. He keeps going. You see this in verse 3. He says this, All things were created through him, and apart from him not one thing was created that has been created. So not only is Jesus as fully God meaning that Jesus is eternal, it also is stating forth that Jesus is the creator, all right? So if John, if John 1 verses 1 and 2 are relating to Genesis 1, 1, that in the beginning that Jesus is eternal, then this verse 3 is also relating to verse 3 in Genesis chapter 1, where God begins to speak. And God begins to speak, and then things start happening, Light comes into existence. The heavens and the earth are separated. Like all these different things begin to take place. That's because Jesus is the word. The father speaks and then Jesus acts. So what John is saying here is that not only is Jesus the word of God, he's also the second person of the Trinity and he is the creator of everything that we can lay our hands on. All the things that we can touch, all the things that we experience in this world, Jesus is its creator. That's what John is saying here to us. Now, other belief sets, like I said, claim that Jesus um, can be fully God, but they also claim that he is a created being, all right? So take, for instance, the Jehovah Witness faith. They claim that Jesus is God, but that he was the first created one. So God creates Jesus, and then through Jesus, Jesus creates all of creation. But John and the Bible says emphatically no, because we see that in verse 3 here. It says this, all things were created through him. You can't claim all things are created if Jesus is the first creation. John continues, apart from Jesus, not one thing was created that has been created. So not only is Jesus eternal, But he is the word of God. He's the truth of God. If you want to know what God looks like in this world, you look to Jesus. He's the second person of the Trinity. He's the one that acted as God spoke. And he's the one that birthed everything in creation to existence. 
And again, it's not just John that states this. You see other evidence throughout the New Testament of people that give proclamation, give testimony to this. One of the best ones that you get, one of the mo- it gives just further depth, more of a robust description to this is Colossians 1, verses 16 through 17, which says this, for everything was created by him, speaking of Jesus. In heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, he's eternal, and by him all things hold together. Just massive, right? This Jesus is eternal, but then he's also the one that creates all things. He's the one that speaks them into existence. They are all created through him. They're created for him. And it's in by Jesus that all things continue to move forward as it was originally spoken into existence. Just incredible power. He is the creator of all things. If that's not enough for you, then you can even look at the life and ministry of Jesus, which are these people that saw Jesus' life and ministry, and then they're sharing these stories about the things that they witness as they're with Jesus. And so Mark 4 puts it like this, that the creation itself even testifies that Jesus is the creator, all right? So Mark 4, what happens? Jesus is out on a boat with his disciples. He's asleep at the head as the storm comes in. The disciples are going frantic. They are scared to death. They are afraid they're about to lose their life. Jesus is asleep. And so they go and they wake him up. Aren't you worried that we're about to die? Why are you just sleeping? And so what happens? Mark 49, 4.39 says this. He got up. He rebuked the wind and said to the sea, silence and be still. And then look. The wind ceased, and there was great calm. Creation obeys the voice of its creator. And then Mark 4, 41 says this, they were terrified and asked each other, who is this, that even the wind and the waves obey him? So look, Jesus is eternal. He's fully God. He's eternal. There's never a point that he didn't exist. He's also creator. He's the one that spoke everything into existence. The rest of the New Testament gives witness to this. Even creation itself gives witness to this. But then John continues on and he says this, that Jesus as fully God is also the source of life, which you see in verse four. In him was life and that life was the light of men. Now, life and light always go hand in hand, all right? So photosynthesis, right? Go back to our elementary days, maybe middle school days. I got a picture for you. I found that this is a common theme that I'm finding about myself, all right? My spiritual gift is that I'm terrible at choosing pictures that you can actually see from your your seat, all right? And so uh, what you see happening here is you have this big basketball thing that is coming and falling on this big green glob right here, and then science happens, right? And so um, what is actually happening is that's supposed to be the sun, right? And so the light energy is then received by the plant, turned into chemical energy that then allows it to do the thing that it does to produce life in this world. Photosynthesis is like 
the basic definition. Green plants and other organisms convert light energy into chemical energy that fuel the organism's activity, all right? And so since Jesus is creator, he's obviously the means by which the source of physical life comes into existence. As the creator of this world spoke life into existence, spoke this world into existence. But John is speaking of more than that here. He's speaking of spiritual life as well. Jesus is the one that spoke all of this world into existence, but even beyond that, he's also the source of spiritual life, all right? So you see this theme, this contrast throughout the gospel of John of light versus darkness, all right? So darkness in the book of John, as well as the Bible, is evil and death, and then light is life and truth, all right? And so one of the best depictions of this in the gospel of John that Jesus is light and life is in chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus spoke to them again. He said this, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness. They will not continue in evil. They will not continue in death, but will have the light of life, meaning that they will have the truth of God and they will have eternal life because they have placed their faith in Jesus. And so look, the source of life is of of not just physical life, but spiritual life, is Jesus. Again, the Bible gives testimony to this. Romans 6.23 says this, For the wages of sin is death, darkness, but the gift of God is eternal life. In who? Christ Jesus, our Lord. So look, here's what John is placing before us. Jesus is fully God. He's fully God. Jesus is eternal Jesus is creator, and then Jesus is the source of all life, not just physical life, but spiritual life. And so here's my big takeaway for us, all right? Jesus is just different, okay? There's something different about Jesus. This is like the most obvious, like, layup, big takeaway to, like, take away from here. Like, Jesus is fully man. We're going to cover this next week. But Jesus is fully God. All right. So there's I've I've said this before that social scientists have identified that there's an internal drive inside of us as human beings for us to find a place that we belong, that we all desire relationships and community. Social scientists have also identified that there's this internal drive inside of us for us to be unique or set apart from other people. There's this desire inside of us for us to want to be distinct. There's um That's how social scientists have actually identified it. There's a drive for distinctiveness. And so there was a guy that um, just kind of did an article on this. His name is Jonah Lehrer. And so he gives this depiction of this in this little article that I just thought was really telling. All right. And so he, he illustrates this inner angst to be distinct really well within us as human beings by this interaction that he had at a coffee shop. And so he goes into a coffee shop and he says, for a lack of a better term, it's a hipster joint. All right. And so it's just full of individuals trying to be unique. And so he identifies this. All right. Ordering their uniquely made coffee drinks, so they have like somewhat foam, somewhat milk, somewhat skim milk, somewhat goat milk, somewhat whatever it is, like the thing that's going to make you unique in the way that you drink your coffee, like these people are doing it. And then as they're standing in line and people are giving all their orders for their unique drinks, 
He also looked at their unique costumes, and he said, so they have, some had slim dark jeans, some had flannel shirts, some had scuffed boots, some had designing glasses, some had moose hair, some just looked like they woke up and rolled out of bed and then walked into a coffee shop. Like, you had all these different people that were trying to look distinct and different from others so they could be set apart. And then he had this revelation as he's sitting there. He says this, what interests me is the irony of the situation. Here we all are seeking uniqueness, looking for those things that neatly express the idiosyncrasy of our peculiar personalities, and yet our uniqueness, at least as customers, is mostly a sham. Somehow we all end up in the same place, chasing the same trends while drinking in the same, drinking the same drink while staring at the same app on the very same phone. Makes you feel nice and warm and fuzzy inside, Right? What he's basically saying is like, we are all trying. While there are maybe small distinctions between all of us, there are ways that we are different and unique, yes. But there's nothing dramatically different about any of us. We're all human beings that have fallen short and that are all in great desperate need. But the only one who has been among us, whom has ever been distinct, is Jesus Jesus is the only human ever to be fully God. His significance and his worth are immeasurable. There has never been, nor will there ever be, another like Jesus that is equal in importance and value to Jesus. And so look, this has massive important implications for us, all right? That Jesus is fully God, that he is completely different than us, although he is fully God and so he shares in our similarities in our humanity, he's also completely set apart because he's fully God and this has massive implications for us. So the question for us is, why is it important for us that Jesus is fully God? There's two reasons why. One, only God can overcome the problem of sin and death. Jesus has to be fully God in order for our biggest problem in life to be overcome, all right? So sin demands a perfect sacrifice. We as humans are completely imperfect. All we know is sin, and we are completely incapable of satisfying the demands that sin has, the penalty for sin, which is a perfect death. We are completely incapable of producing that very thing. And Paul tells us in Romans 8, Romans 8, that God did for us what we could not do for ourselves. Here's what he says. God condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering in order that the law's requirement would be filled in us. So the conclusion is because Jesus is fully God, he can conquer sin and death for us. Not only can Jesus overcome our greatest problem though, but he can also fulfill our greatest need. Because Jesus is fully God, he can actually give us new life. So not only can Jesus deal with our negative side, the things that we can't deal with ourselves, which is our problem with sin and death, he can also give us the positive, the thing that we very need, because he is fully God. We see this by, by trusting in Jesus, by trusting in his life and his work on our behalf, that he gives us the thing that only he rightly deserves. Romans 6 illustrates this to the best that I think you can find in all the Bible through the symbol of baptism. 
He says, that, Paul says this, Romans 6, 4. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, literally uniting ourselves with Jesus in the sacrifice that happened on the cross in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. So look, because Jesus is fully God, he can lay down his life for you. Because Jesus is God, he can be the perfect sacrifice that none of us can provide for ourselves that sin deserves. But on the flip side, because Jesus is fully God, sin and death and the grave cannot contain him. He has risen from the grave, and since he is the source of all life, he can give to you the only thing that is rightly deserved of himself, which is eternal life. Because Jesus is the source of life, of spiritual life, and he is resurrected from the grave, he can now give you the benefit that only he deserves. So he can deal with your greatest problem, and he can also supply your greatest need. So look, I know we've covered a lot. There's a lot of passages that we kind of looked at, and we jumped around a lot. Here's the thrill of hope that I pray that's being stirred inside of you. That as you look at this Jesus who's fully God, and as we consider just coming out of Genesis 3, the way that it ended, that we're cast out of the garden, we're not within God's presence anymore. We're waiting for this promise of Genesis 3.15 to come to fruition, that as we look at this Jesus, that our soul is almost screaming, finally, finally, the one that we needed has come. The one that can deal with the thing that I can't deal with, he has dealt with for me. The one that can give me the things that I need, he has finally come and he can supply me with that very thing that I need. And so Genesis 3 is not the end. God keeps his promises. The Savior has come. And look, he is better than we could possibly have ever imagined. That this Messiah, the Savior, is fully God? Who would have ever thought? Right? And so look, here's the practice of Advent for us, all right? If this is the, the response that our soul is to have, that finally, finally, Advent is here. Jesus has come. If this is like what is provoked in our souls, the practice of Advent is that we rest in him. That we rest in him, all right? So there's at least an urban legend. This may be true and may not be true. I couldn't like validate. Yeah, that's a word. Validate either way. Right or wrong, okay? And so um, there's this at least urban legend that there was an architect that designed this exquisite library. Just this, the design of it was just out of this world. Like beautiful, extravagant, like just something that you had never seen. But there was a huge failure that he made as he was configuring this library. And it's that he didn't account for the weight of the books. And so as this library was built and they brought in and they put books on the shelves that year after year it slowly began to sink into the ground all right so like we saw at the fall we as human beings because of sin are prone to turn to created things to meet our greatest needs that weren't built to bear the weight right it's our propensity to take good things and try to make them ultimate things and then ultimately it kills us inside. 
And so, like, if you just look at the way that God has created us, we highlighted that we're created in the Imago Day, that we are created for relationships, just as we have a relational God, a triune God that was pre-existing before this world in perfect community. We are in the same way created as our God. We desire relationships. We're also created for the creation mandate that we are to go into work, right? There's ways that we try to take both of these things, good things, but aren't to be our ultimate things, but we try to place them on the ultimate seat. And so when we think about our work, we have this propensity that we look at the promise of a particular position. And if we arise and we ascend to this particular position, then we'll finally find the fulfillment that we are looking for in this world. Or if we make the advancement in our, our field of work, that once we get to a pay scale, we'll finally feel the stability that we, our soul has always longed for right? Or that you, if you finally get to the, the certain spot or in the certain group within your workspace, the reputation that may come and follow with all the years of work and experience that you put in, like you'll finally feel like you arrived. Putting a good thing that is not to be an ultimate thing in the ultimate space and it can't bear the weight. Or relationships, whether it's a friend group or it's a significant other or a spouse, there's ways that we try to place these lofty expectations, our needs on these other people. And look, we as human beings aren't built in such a way that we can carry and bear the weight of each other's needs. It's just impossible. Like that's why when you step into marriage, the high lofty expectations that you had are oftentimes come crashing down because you're like, oh, I live in a house with another sinful human being. They can't bear the load of the expectations and my particular needs. And so they, they fail me or I fail them because I try to place all these big expectations on them. And it doesn't, the promise of marriage doesn't seem to actually pay off the way that I thought it would. People and vocation weren't built to bear the weight of our needs. But look, we need someone, we need something that is big enough to handle our needs. And in Jesus, you found the one who is big enough to bear the weight of all your needs. He's dealt with your greatest problem, and he can also give you the, he can supply you with your greatest need in this life. And so look, he's big enough, he's different enough, he's distinct enough because he's fully God. So look, the conclusion is Jesus can bear your load. And since Jesus can bear your load, the practice of Advent is you can rest in him. This promise of Genesis 3.15, it's been fulfilled. You don't have to go looking anymore. Advent's here. Jesus has come. He's done everything for you that you needed, and you don't have to look for the one to come anymore. And the promise of Advent for us in this stage is that Jesus is coming back. And so we can wait expectantly for this Jesus. And so, look, the practice for us is that we should go and marinate in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, where Jesus says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the hope of Advent. Because Jesus is fully God. He's fulfilled Genesis 3.15, the one that God promised so long ago. It's been fulfilled. 
It's a look, you can rest. You can rest. You can sit and you can come to Jesus. And while the other places that you try to place your lofty needs on are crushed because they weren't built to bear the weight, Jesus is built to sustain the weight. You can come to him time and time again. He doesn't get done with you. He's not tired of you. He's not overdone with you. He, you are not a nuisance to him. You can continue to come to him and he is willing and he's ready to bear your needs and supply you with everything that you need so you can come and rest. So look, do you need to step into that? Maybe for the first time. Maybe you're here and it's like, I've heard of this Jesus. I've been in and out of church my whole life, but I've never actually like given my life to this Jesus. I've never just expressly stated within my own heart that I trust him for everything that I need. That this Jesus was able to do for me what I could not do for myself, which is pay the penalty of sin, but then also he can supply me with the very thing that I need, which is eternal life, a renewed relationship with God, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, as John says throughout the rest of his gospel, that I can come to this Jesus and he can give me everything that my soul has been so angsty for since I literally stepped into this world and I experienced sin and the brokenness that is in this world. Jesus can actually deal with all of that. Maybe for you, it's like stepping into this for the very first time. For the rest of us, some of us, it's like, man, I, I feel just still the crushing weight of the rest of this world. Look, Jesus is the supply of your life. You keep coming back to him. It's not this like I stepped into this Christianity thing through Jesus, and then it's like this steroid shot, and now I just get to try to go do the best that I can in this world. No. God supplies you with a different way of life now. You get to walk with God here in this world. Like, the very, since Jesus is fully God, it means we get his full presence when we place our faith in him. The Holy Spirit comes and he lives inside of us. And so we get to walk and we get to live in the resurrecting power that raised Jesus back to this life, the source of life rests inside of you. So don't function apart from it. But lean into it. Live into it. Like, Jesus prayed. The God who, this man who is fully God, he prayed that the second person of the Trinity, the word of God, the truth of God, look, he prayed. He practiced going and getting away with his father, experienced right relationship with him. This very God saw the necessity of prayer and then look, we as Christians function as if we don't even need to pray. You have the source of life. Draw into him. You have the very words of God before you. Man, we should be soaking in the truth of his word, constantly running back to the scriptures, running to the truth so that our souls can marinate in the goodness of the gospel that is Jesus Christ. So maybe that's you. It's like, I need to stop functioning as if my life is still separate from God. I need to start functioning in the way that Jesus truly is my baptism, that I've been united with him in his death, in his resurrection, and this source of life lives inside of me.
Let's be a people that practice the, the thing of Advent, which is that we rest in him. Rest in him. You can come to him. And he will never fail you. He will never let you down. And he will always supply you what you need. All right? Let's pray.